with you, Jesus. All we need is you, Jesus. So all we need is you, Jesus. All we need is you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I want to be where you are. Say, I got to be where you are, Jesus. Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. If it's your first time here, we like to read the word and talk about the word, and that's what we're going to do today for a few moments. If you've been here for a few weeks, you'll notice that I've skipped uh, some passages. I skipped Exodus 32 with the golden calf because I said, well, when you come back, you can't preach about this golden calf and all these people in rebellion. You got to do something a little more uplifting. So I jump to Exodus 33. Let's go there now. In verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, remember, this is on the heels of him going up to the mountaintop, and then the people, they got impatient because they couldn't see God, they couldn't touch God, so they created a God in, that they could make, this golden calf. And God comes down, and he wants to kill everybody, but the Levites end up. But we'll talk about that on another Sunday. I'm not going to get into it. But I just wanted to give you a little context for this verse. The Lord is upset. Look at someone say, he's a little bit upset. And the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. It's almost like God's putting it on him. And go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. I think this is amazing that God still wants, he's going to keep his word. You all go on ahead. I'm going to give you this great land, but I am not going with you. And he gets, goes further. He says, when the people heard these words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell them they're stiff-necked uh, uh, people. If I were to go with you, I might destroy you. Now take off the ornaments. I'll decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped of their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. 
And anyone that had a question and wanted to inquire of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he would enter the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood in worship, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Just as a sidebar, when Moses would enter into the tent, the people would walk out to the edge of their tent and they would watch the cloud and they would begin to worship as God would speak with Moses directly. What an... <laughs> What an amazing encounter, Moses. This is amazing. I mean, is this, this is amazing. And Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor, favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people, God. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you then, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. And Moses said, now show me your glory. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person that has traveled here today. Uh, In the midst of the rain and the thunder they were sleeping through, they still woke up, God, because they were a little bit hungrier for you than they were for convenience. So, Father, I pray that the reality of a, a dying, undying thirst and a hunger for you would be impressed in their hearts today. Holy Spirit, you know how to speak to your people way better than I do. So use me today. Teach us through your word how to become hungry for your presence. We bless you in Jesus' name. Let the people of God say amen. You can have a seat in the presence of the Lord. My message today, if I had to give it a title, I would just say it's time to get hungry for his presence. Look at someone and say, you're not hungry enough. This is a common parable. It's been said before. It's a story many of you might have heard, but it's been said that the great philosopher and orator of Greek descent named Socrates had a young man approach him one day, and this young man said, can I be one of your disciples? Because I want to know wisdom and increase in my knowledge, just like you. And Socrates, who by this time was a wise old sage, took one look at the young man and said, follow me. And the young man followed him into the waters of a nearby river. And Socrates took the young man's head and submerged it underwater for about 15 seconds. And when the young man came out of the water dripping wet, Socrates says, what do you want? And the young man says, I want this knowledge. Wise man, I want this knowledge. And Socrates takes him again. He puts his head under a little bit longer for about 30 seconds, kind of like our baptism that we're going to have in the pool. Depending on how bad you are, we hold you down a different length of time. Just really get it good so that you understand what's happening. You really die in the pool. So he holds him down, and when the young man comes out the second time, he's gasping for air, and Socrates says, what do you want? 
says, you know what I want. I want this knowledge. And he says, oh, man. So he dunks him a third time under the water, and he keeps him down under the water. And at this point, people are gathering around, and they're watching him under the water, which seemed like forever. And at this point, under the water, his hands start to flail, and people begin to gasp because they think he's about to die. And when he finally, at the end of it, starts moving, he pulls him out of the water. He says, what do you want? He says, I just want air. I want air. Give me the air. And Socrates says, when you want knowledge like you want air, then you will have it. See, what would happen to our church and to you? What would really, I mean, just forget that I'm preaching right now. Think about your own life. What would happen in your very situation if you wanted God more than you wanted the very air you breathe? I love you, Jesus. Not more than the game tonight. (laughs) Or shoveling the driveway. But I love you, Jesus. After I watch the good wife tonight. After I check my Facebook account. After I do all these many things and eat that food for lunch, but I love you, Jesus. See, how many people really hunger for God? Oh, I mean, come on. I mean, are we being honest? How many people really are... Once you realize that God wants you to want him more than food or possessions or ambitions or even air, you'll understand who he is. You really want the fullness of him and and the reality of his presence is going to cost you something. See, that's why I came to this passage in Exodus 33 in the life of Moses, because here's an individual that walked with God. He's talking with God. He's the one God called out of this desert to, to be his spokesperson, to deliver a whole people group. He was on the mountain of God, receiving the instructions of God for the people of God. And he was only up on that mountaintop for 40 days. 40 days is not that long. He was up on the mountain for 40 days. And when he comes down, he hears the sound of Israel. Woo, woo, woo. We're kicking and having a good time. Israel had gone wild. But they weren't even worshiping the God who just brought them through the Red Sea and appeared in fire on a mountaintop. This was no Pentecostal church meeting. They were going wild for a golden calf that they created. The God they created. We love the stuff we've created. Why are we falling in love with these things? Because we don't see him and we don't feel him. We know he's there. But God, if your presence were just, how do we even really know you're even there right now? How, you want me to be hungry for you? See, this is humanity. They, they quickly decided that they needed another God. An immediate gratification. Something we could touch and see and feel so they revert back to the pagan practices that they saw over there in Egypt what you got on you I got some gold on me just melt that down we're gonna make up we got this 
And Moses is up there in the glory of the Lord. Oh, Lord, and I'm writing down these instructions. And then what is that? Oh, they're partying down there? Well, obviously, it's a worship service because of all of you. Oh, there's not. It's a goat. They're worshiping a golden calf. You've traded the glory of the invisible, immutable, unchanging, awesome God for something you can create and manifest yourself. And at the beginning of chapter 33, this is what I love. God pulls Moses aside. You all have to track with me for a second. He says, Moses, I'm pretty much done with these people. But because I honor my own word and my own covenant and I'm going to keep my promise, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you into the promised land. I'm going to do everything I said that I was going to do. I am going to defeat your enemies and take you into that land. But I'm not going to go with you because if I go, I might just end up destroying the whole lot of y'all. I want to talk to you about a person who hungers after God. Moses said in verse 12, he said, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. If you're taking down notes, holy hunger always starts with your desire to learn God's ways and know his heart. Uh, uh, just is very simple. I just want to know who you are. I just want to know your ways. I want to know your heart, God. This desire, this hunger. See, God comes to Moses and listen. I want you to listen very carefully because our eyes are going to be opened when we hear this. God was giving Moses and the people a pretty good deal. And it is my belief that most of us would have taken the deal. God, was, let me, let me, okay, you all, you all aren't, it's raining, you're tired. I'm going to say it in a different way. God says at the beginning of, of chapter 33, Moses, I'm going to make you successful. And I'm going to give you the land that you've asked for, the land that is flowing with milk and honey. And I'm going to, this is not me talking, this is God talking. I'm going to wipe out all of your enemies and I'm going to give you all of your wildest dreams. Hmm. Why don't you just take the deal? I'm going to give you success. I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to conquer your enemies, and I'm going to give you all that you've ever dreamed. How many people want that today? That's okay. It's okay, Reggie. I want that too. I'll just take that success. I'll take success, prosperity. You conquer all of my enemies. You know we got some haters. I'm just going to take them out. This is the deal of the century. As a matter of fact, if God came in and said, look, I'm going to give you success, prosperity, all of your wildest dreams, but here's the thing. My presence is going to stay back in the cut. We would be like, you know what, Lord? I've got enough. I've filled up with the spirit. The spirit is inside of me. I'm overflowing. I want this prosperity. I want that new house and that new car. And I want all of my enemies to be scattered. So I'll just take the deal. I would imagine some Israelites would have been like, Moses, this is not that bad of a deal. Come on, this God is out here killing people. If we touch the mountain, he'll kill us. It's not that bad of a deal. 
success, prosperity, and my dreams. But God says, but I'm not going to give you my presence. And Moses says, that's not, a, that's not the deal I want. People do say it too. Thank you, Pastor Bill. If you're taking notes, a hungry person realize that success and the fulfillment of all of your dreams without his presence is nothing. It's nothing. See, some of us would just settle for the blessing of God. Thank you, Lord. He's blessing me right now. But, but we are okay without his presence. Today, I want you to get a little bit more hungry for his presence. Look at someone and say, how do I get hungry? I love what John Piper says. He says, do you have a hunger for God? If we do not have strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world that our soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for that which is great. We are hungry not because we have not tasted, but because we have. A hunger for God is an acquired appetite. You know, I, I loved it at uh, AJ's wedding. You know, you, you guys, surely you guys are so fancy. And then the, this thing came and I said, they have made a mistake. They've brought this, this sherbet in the middle of our meal. So we should talk to the, the people running this restaurant and this place because they have messed up. They've brought us the dessert. And somebody said, no, son, that's a palate cleanser. And then I got real quiet. I knew that. I just wanted to cleanse it. I was cleansing my palate so that when I got the main meal, see, because it was an acquired, you got to have an acquired taste. See, there's something that is very interesting that happens to us when we fast. How many people have ever fasted before? See, on the first day of the fast, your stomach, you get you get, have these hunger pains and you feel this, you really actually feel something in the gut of your stomach. And you say, I'm just so hungry. But what it is is the acid in your stomach being activated at the time that you're supposed to eat. Just like when you train a child, you know, overnight they sleep and then they wake up, they're hungry because there's this activation reminding them. But on the third day of that fast, you start telling yourself, I don't think I can do it. I actually think I'm starving. I'm really starving on the third day. Look at me, I'm 240. I could go many days without eating. I have, I have plenty of leftovers. I'm just saying. Is that all right to be honest? I have some leftover. But my body says, you're going to die on the third day. I can't make it. But after 10 days of a fast, you start walking around normal. Because your digestive system starts to shut down. And you start losing that edge of hunger and your body starts getting tired, more tired, and you begin to lose weight. You lack energy, but that intense hunger isn't there. You feel like, I think I can go the whole month with this fast because my system is shutting down and my body is getting accustomed to not having food and my digestion doesn't work anymore. And so the fast becomes easy. But the second I take a taste of gum, my system says, oh, snap. 
or you eat an egg. It doesn't even have to be fancy. You can boil an egg and you eat that egg and your system is like, what is this gold you are? What's this? this the cheesecake factory? It's a, this egg that you've eaten is starting to um, um, this is amazing and my system starts to move again all because I had one taste and suddenly I have hunger again because my body's appetite has been awakened. Do you realize that if you've been on a fast for 10 days, all you need is one taste to awaken your body? See, I'm really not talking about natural things. I'm really talking about your relationship with God and your hunger and your appetite for God because the first day that you don't meet with God or sense his presence, you start a loss. You start noticing that something is wrong. Spiritually, it's wrong. Something's going wrong. There is this pain in your stomach. I just feel like today was off. I know God is there, but today was just messed up because I wasn't there. But on the third day, you say, God, where have you been? I'm in a place of starvation. I can't go on without you, God. But in reality, you have just enough of God in your life. You have those love handles of God. You can really maintain through the third day, but something inside of you is telling you that you're starving for God. But after 10 days, Your ability to digest spiritual matters begins to shut down. You used to get in your car and the first thing you would do is turn on that sermon on the radio. Now you just say, well, what's the point of that? I'm not even really, I don't really even need it. What's on GCI? And your spiritual man starts getting tired and you start losing weight and lacking energy. But you've lost that intense hunger because your body is getting accustomed to not having food. And your spiritual digestion system has shut down. Am I talking to people with digestive failure today? <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I told you this was an encouraging message, not to doubt. You know, okay, you might be like, that's me right now. I'm trying to eat right now, but I'm hurting right now. Here's the good news. All that you need to awaken your hunger is one taste. All you need is one taste of the word of God, a word from the Lord, a moment of worship to allow that hunger to start going. The psalmist stands up. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> Somebody just needs a taste today. You're not, you might think you walked in here far from God. All you need to do is take one taste. You might have already taken that taste, and now, now you just roll. And you say, this, I just want a little bit more, a little bit more. But the analogy doesn't end there because the opposite side of that fasting is that you're actually very full. That's the other thing in terms of being hungry for God, that, that we're so used to junk food that you feel bloated even though you might be experiencing a state of malnutrition. See, there's a, there's a link between malnutrition and our weight. How many people realize that? Sometimes your body is not getting what you need even though you're eating all the time. You can stuff yourself on popcorn and Doritos and snacks and everything else. You all know you might be getting a little bit bigger 
but you're not really well. See, I wonder if we're experiencing obesity in our Christianity and malnutrition at the same time. Do we have a gluttony of television and programs and movies and social media and trending topics? Everyone here knows about the white lady acting black. Matter of fact, you probably read three or four articles. But if I ask you what is God saying in the book of Romans, we don't know. See, we fill our, don't we fill ourselves with this stuff? But we can be so full. I'm fine. Everything is fine. But severely on the inside, we're malnourished. See, and we wonder why we feel the lack in us. Is malnutrition the general state of our Christianity? I look at the life of Moses and I say, Moses, what would make you give up that great deal? And say, no, nah, I, w- I, want, I want his presence. I'm fine. You all keep all of that. God, I don't want the land and prosperity and all my dreams, but I want your presence. What made him hunger and desire God? Okay, here's the point. If you're taking notes, Moses hungered and desired more of God because he had spent some time with God. I know you wanted something far deeper and more thought-provoking. He was hungry for God because he spent time with God. In other words, he had a spiritual appetite that had been cultivated. In, In the middle of that passage in 33, it says Moses used to go to the tent of meeting. You know, it was a place where he would go and hang out with God and listen with God and talk with God face to face. And the people would rise and they would watch him as he would enter that tent. And they would, it was such a holy moment that they would stand at their tents and they would begin to worship. I mean, would you, could you imagine the glory of the Lord in those type of moments? You're just standing there and the Lord is descending and you're, you're worship. And then Moses would come out. He had a habit of going into this tent of meeting. So when God says to Moses, I'm going to bless you. You can have all that good stuff on the earth except for my presence. Moses says, oh, <laughs> no, no, God, I'm, I'm okay. You can keep all that other stuff because I've tasted, I've sipped of your glory and I've tasted of who you are. Success, blessing, those are great things, but God, your presence. There is nothing like the presence of the Lord. There is nothing like the presence Do you all realize today that you were designed to crave God? Look at someone and say you were designed to crave God. It is only when your appetite has been spoiled by these cheap substitutes that we lose our hunger. All of creation is hungering for God. Romans, we know that the whole creation, what does it say, has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly because our appetites have been awakened by the deposit of the spirit. All of creation groans for the manifestation of God. You don't think you do. I don't know. I don't, you know, last week uh, I was outside and you all might have been out there. Did you all see those clouds? What was that? What was that? And I, you know, 
Joanna's gone, so I was out on the golf course at night, and uh, the guy I was with, you know, I'm always talking with people about Christ, and he told me, you know, he, I'm an atheist and this and that, and then we started to look up at these clouds, and in my mind, as I'm looking, you know, it's just like these, it almost looked like a cartoon or something. It was just like, I can't, I've never seen this type of cloud formation, and then all of a sudden, my brain started going, he's coming on the clouds. I said, this is the day. This is the day. And I'm on the golf course. God, I get to see you in your glory. Is this what heaven is about? I'm, maybe I'm in heaven. But there's something in my existence that groans for the day of his appearing. The biblical writers, they would end their passages like this. Maranatha, Jesus, come quickly. When I see the tragedies and the trials people go through, I say, Jesus, come on, help us. And all of creation is groaning for him to part the sky and come with the clouds and set everything right. And this hunger I have for something eternal can't be satisfied in these relationships or success or addictions or in popularity or anything that's out there because I've been created with the divine reality of hungering for something eternal. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes tells us that. You won't be satisfied. See, hunger creates a dependence upon his presence and an unwillingness to move forward without it. See, in verse 14, the Lord says, okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses, you're in the desert You're in a bad situation. People are worshiping other gods. Don't send us up from this bad situation if your presence isn't going with us. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the other people? Lord, we want you to go with us. Now, let me pause for a second. I know that theologically God is omnipresent, right? What is Moses talking about? God's there. He's immutable, which means he never changes. He never improves because he's always been perfect. He's not like us. He never gains knowledge because he's always known all that there ever was. He doesn't get better with age because he's always been perfect. He's the same yesterday. He's presence in the depths of the sea. I am there on the tops of the mountain. I am there. He was there when we landed on the moon. He's just always there. So why is Moses saying, I'm not going to go unless you go with me? Moses, God's already there. What is Moses talking about? He's everywhere. See, because he's not just talking about the presence of God. He's talking about the manifest presence of God. Look at someone say manifest. The manifest presence of God. See, Joey could be sitting in the service all that he wants, you know, and he's here. You can say, well, he's here. But if he walks over here and starts playing on the piano, he begins to manifest 
a piece of his glory. Okay, y'all didn't y'all don't get what I'm saying just yet. My wife is with me today. She called me and said, I hope your sermon goes well and this and that, and I'll pray with you. And I feel her presence and she's with me, but she's really in Florida. There's something different about when she reveals her glory and she's with me manifestly. Y'all understand what I'm saying here. A revealing of his glory. See, in the temple, God manifested himself with such a Shekinah glory that when he came down, there was this power and this radiance that the priest who were men of God, who were dedicating the temple, had to stop the services because of his presence that was manifest. Isaiah, praying in the presence of God, came in such manifest power that he stops and cries out, Woe is me, for I am a sinner, and I live among sinful people. I need cleansing. Imagine Moses. After seeing God show up in power, split the sea, conquer Pharaoh, the cloud, the fire, the manna on the ground. You want me to live my life without your manifest presence? No, I, I reject that. I'm good. Keep your land. Keep your success. Keep all those enemies there. All I want is your presence. Because there are times when God shows up and manifests his glory and shows us another facet of who he is. That's exactly what Moses says. I don't want, if you, your presence doesn't go with us, God, please do not bring us from here. You should write that down. That should be the mantra on your home. And when you, God, if your presence doesn't go with me today, I don't want to get, now you still got to go to your job. I'm not saying that. Okay, don't get all pastor said if his prayer, I didn't feel his prayer. No, you still got to go. But there should be something in you that says, God, if your presence doesn't lead me in this relationship, if your presence doesn't lead me today on this job, if your presence doesn't lead me in this hospital appointment, if your presence doesn't go with me today, God, don't bring me up from here. See, when we get hungry, there will be an unwillingness to move forward without him. When was the last time you looked at your family and you looked at, had that situation? God, we won't go forward unless you do it. Unless your presence is with us. Or are you just leading on your own? Okay, all right, I'm, all right, okay, got to stay positive. Okay, hold on, hold on. If you're taking notes, the last point I want you to write down is this. A holy hunger drives us to pursue all that we can handle of God. Look at someone say, I want it all. See, in verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses prayed a prayer and said a statement that only someone out of their mind would say. Only someone so possessed by a passion and a boldness of living and walking in just absolute hunger and, and a depth in, in them that looks up at God and he says, okay, Lord, now show me your glory. It's hard for us to even fathom what Moses is asking 
in this moment. God, show me your glory. It's this sort of ethereal term or this vague statement that we hear in the hymns of old. Lord, show us your glory. Stand with me. God, I pray right now for every person gathered under the sound of my voice. Father, that you would begin to manifest your presence in their homes and in their lives. I pray for those, God, that might be in a, in a place of starvation. Maybe they've come here today, God, and right now, by the power of your spirit, you've awakened them to taste and see that you are good. So, Father, I pray that you would fuel their appetite right now. Lord, let us not wake up in our homes without us saying, God, just today, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us from here. Release a holy hunger over the people of God today. Let there be a unity and a passion, God, and a hunger for you in this house like never before. Father, you're what it's all about. We would rather trade success and prosperity and all of our wildest dreams, God, just for one taste of your presence. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Lord, your courts, the courts of the Lord. And maybe there are people here who have never experienced your manifest glory, your manifest presence, God. They need a touch from you today. Lord, manifest yourself in healing in their lives. Manifest yourself in provision in their lives. Manifest yourself. God, be God in all of our lives today. And God, if there's anyone underneath the sound of my voice that does not know you today, Lord, we place our trust and our hope in you, God, to save us, God, and deliver us from our sins, Father. Jesus is the only way to the Father. So, Jesus, we give you our lives today, God. Let there be a divine hunger stirring in our hearts. Increase our appetites today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Let the saints say amen and lift those hands in worship. Hallelujah. Amen. If, if you pray that prayer and you really say, no, I, I'm not sure if the Lord came today. I'm not really sure. Or if you're saying, you know what? Uh, I just want some of my fam Freedom Church family just to agree with me in prayer. Amen. As, as we make our way out, amen, if you... If that's you, amen, just meet us down here at the front, amen, and we will just agree with you. If you're saying, you know what, I, I, I'm on a journey, I'm seeking the Lord, um, what Pastor Thad spoke on, boy, that thing, that connected with me. If that's you, meet us down here. If you just need special prayer, amen, we're going to agree with you, amen, and there's power. The Bible says that he that thirsts and hunger shall be filled, amen. Be blessed.